You're listening to the Irish Times. It is a happy morning, a happy day. A glorious day for Irish sport. Something that the people of Ireland thought would never happen has happened. The British Open was won by an Irish person well, on I Irish was, soil. I was going to say, Pat Nugent is back oh. on the Added Time podcast. <laughs> the people have called for it and it has happened and here we are. And I timed my return perfectly. Well, yes, yeah, some other golf thing happened. <laughs> <laughs> that was real golf yesterday, I have to say, watching it. There was a, a, an old, um, in, in, one, in the great, the great, great golf book, uh, A Good Walk Spoiled, John Feinstein's book from well, 1993, has a chapter called, If it's nae wind and it's nae rain, it's nae golf. <laughs> <laughs> Does he, yeah? Yeah, 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 which was about the British Open which was in Scotland at the time or whatever that year. But yes, it was wind and it was rain and it was golf yesterday. I read that book and I don't recall that chapter at all. But I, it You're did, not the nerd I am when it comes to this shit. No, I did find myself thinking though, you know when you watch the lads prancing around Magnolia Lane and there's azaleas blooming all around Quite. them. And then the, sometimes it was only when they cut to uh, close-up shots of Lowry yesterday mm. and there was rain coming like sideways into his face mm. and he was squinting into it to see where he was hitting the ball. And you did think... God, it's some round to mm. shoot a 72. In Sleeves out. Yeah. Sleeves out. Like whatever he, he, he was like one of those linebackers that you see in the NFL when the, when it gets to be football weather. I'm playing on Lambeau what, Field or something. Lambeau Field, but yeah. with the sleeves out. None of this, <laughs> none of this out Under Armour bullshit. <laughs> uh, you were in Croke Park to watch this indeed, game yesterday. Indeed. Or the I, golf, I mean. I like, uh, I would say most of the 48,000 crowd there was essentially living a split life watching the golf and uh, watching the games that were on. Uh, interestingly, uh, in the Crook Park press room, uh, which is just behind the, the press seats, there are two televisions in there. And it's almost like a by, by law passed down in GA Congress that it, they must have GA on them at all times. Like, woe betide you if you went in there and put on a soccer game some Sunday. Um, but uh, yesterday... There was not, and I can say this for certain, there was not one millisecond of GA shown on those screens yesterday. It was all golf all the way. Like I often laugh uh, when you come in at half time in a game and the finest GA journalism minds in the country are kind of huddled around watching Brawley and O'Rourke and Spillane and what they're saying at half time in, a, in some game. And you're going... Why? Why would you? Why? What do you even care about these people for? Uh, but yet, yesterday, none of that. Everybody was watching the golf um, at halftime in the game as well. In both games, uh, they announced on the big screen how Larry was doing. Uh, say, Did they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at halftime in the Mayo Meath game, they said Shane up on the big screen. Shane Larry is uh, five shots ahead, and the whole place went hey Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Larry, of course, has major GA roots. His dad was part of the Offaly team that 82. stopped the Kerry four Brendan in a row. Larry, of course, yeah. Uh, but but even beyond his major GA roots, which of course he has, um, he's he's like. A big fan. Like, uh, uh, Hinch a couple of weeks ago when they were playing the Irish Open, uh, on the Saturday night he went to watch uh, Galway Mayo in Casabar. Yeah. You know, he's, you know he's, he's into it, you know. One of our own. One of our own, indeed. But what a great day. Like, what an achievement. Like, is there anybody in Ireland that isn't happy for Shane Larry? Couldn't be. No, no. No. Uh, uh, surely there couldn't be. No. It's a fantastic thing. Everybody's delighted for him. And, you know, we get to glory in it. 
I do think that he'll give Owen Morgan a serious run for his money when it comes to Irish Sportsman of the Year at the end of the year. I think that's a real tight call now. Are you sizing this? I'm assuming this is a gag. You said that on Twitter there a while ago. Well, if Owen Morgan doesn't make that shortlist, I'm going to have serious words with people. Do you think? Oh, my God. As an achievement... Anyway, we can get this in, into this in another time. Yeah. But as an achievement of an Irish sports person, that was phenomenal. But I think Shane Larry will... Unless the rugby lads do something in Japan... I think Shane Harry probably has that one sewn up for the end of the year. Anyway, we will, uh, as I say, as you were saying, I was in Crook Park yesterday. We're going to talk uh, a bit of football later on with Sean Moran and with Eamon Donoghue. But of course, there's only one place to start. Uh, and somewhere on the way from Portos to Dublin is uh, Philip Reid. What a week, Philip. Yeah, it was some week, Maliki. Uh, I've never experienced anything quite like it on a golf course. Seems more reminiscent in some ways of uh, what you see at big time football matches and finals. Like you haven't experienced the like of that before. Like what? What made it so special? Well, it's just the crowds. I think that well, there was obviously a Lowry factor and the fact that it's the first uh, major that we've had on Irish soil for sixty-eight years, and we went into it believing that Rory McIlroy was the one that was going to be the the main home contender, so to speak, and uh, Shane. Despite his nerves on the Wednesday, he had a good little chat with uh, Neil Manchip just to steady the ships before he got going. And uh, once he got into the run of things, he, he wasn't a wire-to-wire winger, winner, but he was as damn close as you're going to get. He led for five hours uh, on Thursday. And then uh, once he got going, the second round, shared the lead. By uh, Saturday night, he was in the lead and uh, carried a four-shot lead into yesterday. Yeah, Saturday was one of the great days in golf. I think uh, Shane's 63 could even have been better. You know, he he just played absolutely beautiful golf. And the, the, the scenes as he went around the course, like players or uh, spectators were 10 deep at times. I don't know how some of them even saw him play. There were just so many people following him. And, uh, you know, around the 63, doing what he did, and uh, carrying the four-shot lead then into yesterday, totally different uh, conditions. On Saturday, there was hardly a breath of wind. Yesterday, we had rain, and we had gusts of winds up to 35 miles an hour, and it was one of those occasions, like you saw what uh, J.B. Holmes did, he crumbled to an 87. Nobody was able to come charging through the field, given the conditions, and it was a day for grinding it out, and like when Tommy Fleetwood double bogeyed 14, Shane was really able to enjoy those last few holes. But right the way through, like from start to finish, he was just so comfortable in his own skin. Played some absolutely fantastic golf and just looked made for that uh, Dunluce uh, links. We can uh, we can luxuriate in in this for for as long as we like. I'd I'd even go back. Saturday was amazing, Philip. You know, for just how good he was. Um, but. I thought for the first 10 or 11 holes on Friday was almost the most controlled I'd seen him all in, in years and years and years. Everything for those first 10 or 11 holes on, on Friday, when he, when he just started to, started to pull away, started to kind of build on his really good first day, that was, like, that was nearly the best golf he played all week. Whereas like Saturday, you could see him and he was even saying it afterwards on Saturday, like he was carried along by the crowds. He was almost willing, willing the putts to go in so he could hear the roars. Um, but like, I, I really go back to Friday. I thought Friday was brilliant for those first 10 or 11 holes. Yeah, and you're right. He played great golf. The, 
the only time I ever saw him play that well was uh, in Oakmont. Obviously not in the last mm. round in Oakmont, but on a, on that difficult golf course in 2016 at the US Open. There was times where he seemed to have uh, the ball in a string. He never put a foot out of place. And there was similarities in a lot of ways for the way he played this weekend, apart from yesterday. Yesterday was more mm. of a, a grinding, making sure that you, you kept a double bogey off the cards. And to be honest, the, the start that he had where he limited the damage to a bogey on the very first hole, Tommy Fleetwood had a chance for a birdie, which he didn't take. There was a potential three-shot swing there. And just limiting that damage to just losing one shot, going from a four-shot lead into a three-shot lead, it was almost as if it was the other way around because he took the impetus with him then. He had a little bit of momentum, and his putter was just so strong. Okay, he had two, three putts, uh, but, you know, they were difficult, long putts initially. And, uh, you know, other than that, you know, it was just one of those great days. And uh, the crowds, there was an awful lot of from Offaly, a lot from Dublin, a lot from all over the south. It was out by uh, the H Green there at one stage, and there was Kerry jerseys and a guy with a St. Martin's of Carrigavine uh, top on him. <laughs> They'd come a long, long way. Like They've travelled the length of the island just to get up. And I know Kerry were playing in Crow Park at the same time, but their priorities was within Offaly man yesterday. And uh, it was just great to see one of those great occasions. And that's 10 major wins for Irish golfers in the last 12 years which is quite an extraordinary achievement. You say, um, Philip, about the crowds there. I thought it was fascinating that he managed to harness the crowds because he spoke um, about being nervous in the run-up to it and how his coach sat him down and tried to talk him through the nerves. But he, rather than let the crowd become something to fear, to make let the occasion get on top of him, he completely just seemed to use it as a, something to drive his own momentum. But Shane, it was almost like he was a conductor, you know, an electric, like there was an electric energy going around and it was fine in him and he was definitely energised by it. There's no doubt about that. The, the nerves, I think, when he had to talk with Neil Manship on the Wednesday were, were for a number of factors, OK, it was the first uh, Open Championship on Irish soil for so long. There was a lot of expectations. He'd hoped to come in under the radar, but he was already being mentioned as a, as a possible contender. But in himself, he also knew that he was playing really well. He's had a very good season. Going back to January when he won uh, in Abu Dhabi, he's had a very strong season uh, post-Masters. He finished third in the Heritage. He was runner-up to Rory McIlroy in the Canadian Open. And he knew himself that it was a golf course that he knew well. He'd won the North of Ireland here as an amateur. He'd always played well on it. And uh, he, like deep down, he fancied his chances. And... Shane is one of those guys, you know, that he brings expectations on himself because he knows so many other people have expectations. And that's where I think when he sat down for a cup of coffee or maybe two cups of coffee, they talked for 40 minutes. Uh, they had a great old chat and he came out from that uh, meeting totally loose and uh, ready ready for the whole championship. And like, let's, let's be honest about this. It was, uh, this is the biggest uh, international sporting occasion that we've had on this island. Uh, probably Ryder Cup, probably the only thing that might even just uh, match it in some ways. But that's a team event between Europe and the United States, whereas this is a real global event. It was being screened into over 600 million houses around the world. And uh, obviously, it's not just uh, Europeans and Americans. You have your South Africans, you have your Asians, you have your Australians. 
and it was all the best players in the world and uh, the last man standing on the 72nd green by a country mile was uh, Shane Lowry winning a major by six shots is some achievement. Well, it's funny, just as you were saying that, Philip, I, I was sort of half thinking that my next question was going to be, are we almost, is it possible to almost underplay this because, you know, I, people who follow sport in Ireland kind of feel like they know Shane Lowry. Uh, you know, he has a, a fairly big social media presence. He's always going to other sports. He's, you know, he, he comes across so well. Uh, and to to a certain extent, you could nearly go, all right, well, sure, Shane's after winning a big tournament up in Portrush. It it almost, to you, you could nearly kind of go, well, how big a deal is it really? Just tell us a little bit, like, tell us what this means for him sort of going forward. Like, what does this do to his career? Well, first of all, uh, like, I think we should remind ourselves, so we have been spoiled in the last 12 years. Mm. Like, when Fred Ailey won uh, uh, the Claret Jug in 1947-1947, there was a 60-year drought or a 60-year wait before Patrick Harrington made a breakthrough in Carnoustie in 2007. And, like, for any of us that were there at that time, like, we realised what a big deal it was. I think, like, I remember, like, people at home saying pretty much the country came to a halt for that Sunday afternoon while people were watching what he was doing. And then he, of course, Patrick, just sticking with Patrick for a minute, he goes on, he wins three majors inside... Uh, 13, 14 month period. So then you have the superstar star that is Rory McIlroy coming along. He's won four majors. He, the, the, the big surprise is that Rory hasn't won since uh, 2014. And then GMAC wins the US Open. Darren Clark somehow manages to, to win the Open Championship in uh, Royal St. George's in 2011. So, you know, the, the, the way that Majors have almost come off a conveyor belt, you know, has, has left the expectations of how difficult it is. But these are difficult to win. Like, there's only four majors every year. You have all the very top players to win. So, like, for Shane to do what he's done is a huge achievement. He wins big. He, he won the WGC in Akron. And uh, earlier this year, the event he won in Abu Dhabi was a Rolex series event. So, like, they're all prize money in excess of a million euro. Yesterday, he won 1.7 million. But the bigger picture is that it gives him an exemption now into the Open at least 60. He's into the Masters for the next five years. He's into the US Open for the next five years. He's into the PGA Championship for the next five years. And he's gone to number one in the race to Dubai and improved his FedEx Cup standings. So the FedEx Cup uh, finals, uh, that's a huge money event at the end of the year. And, of course, the race to Dubai is uh, an even bigger pot this year. Philip, um, with some golfers, like particularly, say, Rory, you know, he won his first major and you thought, well, that's major number one. How would Lowry look at this? Does he look in this as, I'm not saying he'll ever actually match it because the idea of winning uh, the Open on Irish soil, he's probably started at, at the highest pinnacle that he could possibly reach. But will he be targeting major number two or is he genuinely surprised to even be at major number one? I don't think he's surprised, no. Um, and as you say, Pat, you know, it, it is an historic achievement. Uh, probably, like, you wonder, will you even ever see it again, an Irishman winning a major in Irish style? But, you know, already he, he's talking about resetting his goals, uh, one of which, apart from the majors, I think he, he says he wants to be the first Irishman to win the Masters because that's the one major that no Irish player has won. And the other thing that's very much in his, uh, on his horizon is uh, 
getting onto the Ryder Cup team next year where Patrick Harrington is the captain in Whistling Straits. And uh, he said that is his priority. So, OK, he's, he's decided not to play in Memphis this week, but then he'll be going back over for the, the playoff tournaments on the FedEx Cup. And then it's back to Europe because uh, the Ryder Cup qualifying starts in September and his schedule for the rest of the year will be to get as many points on the board as early as he can for that uh, qualifying process. What was the atmosphere around uh, Portrush like last night? I know you were probably you were working pretty late, but w- when you got finished, like, w- could you still feel it around the place? Well, e- even when I was working, like you, you could hear the, the olays, olays. Some people hate us, other people, you know, love us. Uh, there were the strains of fields of Afton Rye, with, like you've never heard before, uh, at a golf event. And uh, you know, I think, like, there was almost a giddiness in the run-up to the event because Port Rush was hosting it for the first time in 68 years. But the, the way that Larry delivered, and I must say the Northern Ireland golf fans, it wasn't just those who travel up from the south, were absolutely superb and how they... Uh, cheered him and uh, supported him all the way through the uh, 72 holes. What now, Philip? What, uh, what's your week looking like? Well, traditionally for you, you, you have a lot of practice at this now, uh, the week after an Irishman wins a major. What, what's the next few days look like for, for you? I don't know. I thought I was going <laughs> to get some rest. <laughs> Unlikely, I would suggest. It's, it, it, it's been an absolutely mad uh, few weeks for uh, Irish golf. Like, if you take in uh, James Sucre, who won the mm. British Amateur at Port Marnock, the uh, Irish Open, the Hinch, was an amazing success. Uh, it was a fantastic week, a great tournament, and a brilliant winner in John Ram. And then to cap everything, you have what happened up in Portrush, which was a, a, an unbelievable venue, probably one of the best uh, open championships uh, in history, not just in my lifetime, but I think even looking back into history, it was one of the great championships. And there's no doubt it's going to play host to, to Opens again. And for Lowry to win his breakthrough major, his maiden championship win on Irish soil, and the response that he got and the way he played and the way he delivered that win was uh, just something surreal. Malachi, there's a quote from uh, from Shane Lowry in the front of the paper today where he says, the last thing you want to do is come up here and miss the cut. And that was kind of in my mind, which <laughs> he's talking about the pressure. So that immediately makes you think of Rory McIlroy. It was, yeah, it's graceless of him to have a dig at Rory in his finest hour like that, isn't it? <laughs> Well, you wrote a, a column on the back of the Times today where you were talking about uh, an interview you did with Sean van der Velde years ago and how golfers hate the word choke. They really do, yeah. And they absolutely won't use it at yeah. all. And you were making the point that the fact of the matter is this week, Rory McIlroy is not a choker, but this week he choked and he should own it. Yeah, I th- well, I think he could do a lot for the sport if he did. Like, I, I, I think the, the, the word needs to be sort of... I don't know, uh, demilitarized or de-weaponized or something like that in the sport. Like, like Rory basically went out, and the weight of the the weight of having the Open in Portrush, the weight of having the whole of Northern Ireland behind him, the weight of building himself up to it, telling people in the build-up that it'd be the biggest achievement of his career if it happened. Um, all of that fed into a mental collapse on on the day, and you know that's a choke. It is that's what it is. And over the weekend, 
Brandel Chambly, the American golf pundit, took a lot of shit for calling it that because it is such a taboo word in the sport. But I really think that, that like Rory, I presume, will be asked about it in Memphis this week. I really think if he kind of stood up and said, yeah, like I failed at the mental side of the game that one day. I did my really level best the next day to come back and I was really proud of myself on the Friday for the way I played and I just missed out. But I think he could say, yeah, I choked. Like, so what about it? Everybody does it. It's a, it's a mental game. I lost the mental side of it that day. There there we go. I think it, I think it would do the sport a lot of good. What do you think, Philip? Do you, did uh, did Rory's uh, having, kind of taking, being a pressure shield almost, did that, could that actually have helped Shane Lowry and some of the others? Well, well, so I was just getting back to the, the C word. Um, like, I believe that choking is when you have a lead and you're coming down the stretch and you lose that lead. Um, I think what happened, Rory probably surprised himself um, in terms of that there was probably an internal pressure there that he, he didn't realise the full extent of it. And, uh, OK, you might say he came out and does what Rory does when his back is to the wall on the Friday, but um, he played absolutely brilliant. He came so close to actually making the cut. And the one thing I would say about Rory McIlroy is win or lose, and no matter what the circumstances is, he'll always stand around at the end of a round and he will talk and he will answer questions. And, he, you know, like there's an honesty there that isn't always there with a lot of, not just golfers, but with a lot of top sportsmen. I think sometimes you have to give Rory credit that he doesn't always get that uh, he is in those bad situations willing to stand up and uh, man up, basically. That's why, exactly. And that's what I had in mind as I was writing the column. He's, he's one of a very, very small number of people that I could see possibly doing it, like possibly going, yeah, look, we need to talk about about this. You know, the, that, the, you know, the game isn't just hitting the ball. It's getting your head right to hit the ball. And I failed at that on Thursday, but I came back on Friday, you know. Anyway, that's enough of us for... for this year, I would say, Philip, there were, as you were talking about the great la- or the mental last few weeks, the one thing I could think of, the one thing, the one upside of it for you is that there's no PGA Championship for you to worry about in a month's time. Like the, the, the majors are done for the year. So at least you do get a break once you get through this week of covering Shane Larry. Well, that's right. And like just, just uh, going back to that, Maliki, I think uh, the Open Championship as the final major of the year is actually the way it should be. I think the, the Masters has a special magic about it as being the one that kickstarts the year. And I think the Open Championship, as the oldest of them all, and I think probably the best of them all, is the one that deserves to be the, the final say in any major season. Best of stuff. Listen, thank you so much, Philip. We've really leaned on you the last few weeks. Thanks a million for answering the call. Okay, thanks, Maliki. Thanks, Beth. Cheers. The Super 8s are down to the uh, relatively, probably Super 1, relatively grand 4 and see you next year 3 uh, have been, they've been broken up into that uh, strata now at this stage. Uh, there's a lot of football over the weekend. We have a lot of brains around the place to talk about them. Sean Moran's on the phone. How are you, Sean? Great, thanks. And Eamon Donoghue is in studio having seen all four games because he live blogged them all over the weekend. How are you, Eamon? Good, good. Beaten down by them, I presume. <laughs> uh, Sean, uh, we were in Crook Park yesterday, so we, we may as well start with that. And it was 
the much the best game. Uh, Donegal and Kerry. Um, I saw you. I was talking to you afterwards, and you said that the teams were level sixteen times. Uh, that's like that's hurling stuff. That really doesn't happen in football that much. No. Um, now, my methodology was criticised in that I counted the nil all at the start of it, <laughs> but uh, uh, it was it was remarkable. I think particularly the uh, the stretch in the final quarter where you know it was just it was kind of point for point and. Uh, Funnily enough, I mean, throughout the whole match, Kerry led by two uh, on a couple of occasions, but uh, Donegal never led by more than one. And uh, it was really tight, claustrophobic to the point where, I mean, the shooting was was really accurate yesterday. In the second half, there were only three wides, two two for Donegal, one for, one for Kerry. And yet, I can remember the wides and thinking, "Oh my God, does that mean you know that they've they've lost their lost their place in the queue now by not uh, by not taking the score?" Um, and it was really uh, it was really compelling stuff as as, as, it, as it went down to to, to the wire and. Uh, I suppose the cliche, but the draw probably was a, f- a fair result or a, f- a fair reflection of it overall. Maybe Kerry in some ways edged it slightly, but uh, I don't think anyone would complain with them getting a point each. You were pretty taken, Sean, as well, with the quality, uh, beyond even the quality of the shooting and the play in general, but the quality of the restarts was superb for both teams. Yeah, and I mean, w- w- we've come to expect this from Sean Patton, the Donegal uh, goalkeeper, who's been uh, really exceptional uh, this summer um, and not just and this is the thing about yesterday as well it wasn't just your short uh, restarts where you know the, the, the other team pulled back and you can find a spare defender very easily I mean they, they had to go long on, on occasion I mean I made the point that although Kerry weren't trying to strangle Donegal the way that they had with Mayo um, previously Probably because they knew that, that that Patton could actually kind of put the ball right over their press if if if, if they did it. But it was very hard to find space uh, on that field yesterday, and both both teams did it, did it really well. Um, and Donegal only only failed to find a man with three of the restarts. Kerry five, so a couple more, and and then Shane Ryan was a bit under pressure in the in, in the closing stages. But but overall, I mean, it was I thought it was sensational stuff, and really led to the kind of the the, the flow of the game. It was very good. Eamon, there was a sense of a few years ago when Kilkenny were going for their five in a row that they sort of drove other teams to to heights to reach them. The, the standard of the Kerry Donegal yesterday game it was so high. Do you think that that's exactly what's happening? That they're they're striving to get to Dublin's level, and it it was a superb game. Yeah, yeah, and not only in terms of the level they've risen to, but also the style of play, um, the fact that they were both so open, um, and they didn't necessarily go man for man, but their their systems were attack based. We're going to score more rather than we're going to concede less, and even to see Donegal's transformation from where they were under Jim McGuinness and especially. Rory Gallagher to where they are now, that's definitely from Dublin's influence because they're seeing that this is the way, the way forward. You know, if if, if you, you you attack first and you you defend by <laughs> by scoring more, so all the, it's funny even watching Mayo yesterday as well, and we'll get on to him in a minute. But that that those teams play more or less the same style now, and it and it their defensive systems are really interesting to watch in that. So they attack on on mass, they attack on in numbers. As soon as the ball is turned over, there it's not it's not every man takes care of his man. It's that every man takes care of where he has to defend. Somebody they 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 followed the Keno Sullivan as a sweeper idea, it, but it doesn't matter who it is. Like it can be different 
one of, one of three sort of different players on each side drop back. It ended up for Mayo. It ended up being Colin Boyle for Kerry. They they do the same. Donegal do the same. They fall fall back into a formation and a sweeper right in right in the middle, holding the centre. And it's, it's really, but it is it is an attacking way of playing football. Even the 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 teams, the way they were lined out at the beginning when the the changes were made. It's very hard to even fully understand where certain lads are even playing and when they're making changes. Lads are just so fluid in their positions that they can play in and the roles because everyone is capable of playing anywhere really and, and, and filling a role anywhere because it is ultimately you have to be able to, to get back defending, you have to be able to get forward and score. So, um, But for that game, the 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 last 15 minutes of that game was just sensational like it, it was it was end to end the, the scoring was just um but also the decision making like from young players like Oshin Gallen Clifford on the other side the timing of you know keeping the ball in the corners and getting it out at the right time it was just they they both seemed very mature and a lot of people are saying that the fact that no one came out on top is shows that Dublin are so strong i actually think it shows that the two of them are both, you know, both capable of of um, of challenging at least. Well, that's the interesting thing, Sean, that, that we see these two uh, as as probably top of the queue in 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 being able to do, give Dublin a game if and when they they get to face them if they both get through. Um, does the fact that neither of them won yesterday would that be worrying for either of them? You know, they, like it was a tight game; it was there for one of them to 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 go and win. And the fact that neither of them did it um, is that a stepping stone, or is that is that something to be worried about for both? Of them? It's interesting because I, I I felt beforehand, you know, we we're going to get a, a really good fix on where uh, where the, the pecking order was. You know, that it would it would it would shed a bit of light even on uh, the Kerry Mayo match and Killarney, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, Although it probably wasn't uh, the most outlandish projection, uh, a draw probably wasn't. Uh, I suppose in, in, in football and hurling, you don't think of draws as, as as being kind of regular options. But it, it is interesting because uh, neither of them got the the upper hand in this, and you wonder like they go away. How do they? Uh, you know, how, how do they process this now? I mean, obviously, Donegal have. The, the harder uh, finishing task and they've got to go to, to Castle Bar whereas Kerry are going to uh, Navin and, and Meath haven't won anything uh, in the in the group so far but what I, what I, th- I think it's an interesting point because you know both of those counties I mean to be fair uh, they, they would be both expected to to be putting it up to, to Dublin I mean in last year's um, quarterfinal group you know Donegal although they were not not entirely uh, the souls of ambition when they came to Croke Park for that match they, they were definitely competitive and there wasn't much in it at the end Kerry have always been competitive with Dublin when they played them in the, the championship but it was interesting because these are two n- newer teams like that they're you know a lot of those Kerry minors have now graduated to, to senior and uh, Donegal have brought in a number of new players in in, in the last couple of years. So they these were they, these were teams these were remodeled teams and, and how they went. I must say I was I was impressed with the the, the performances of, of both of them. And I don't think either of them, apart from the frustration maybe of having uh, missed an opportunity to win and to basically go top of the group and and effectively I suppose avoid Dublin in the in the semi final if. If Dublin are to top that uh, group, Group Two, so uh, 
I think the immediate thing, though, really is uh, Donegal know that they have to complete uh, a further task in in, in all of this um, because Mayo, although on form, you'd say they're not up to Donegal's level. Uh, Mayo have a, just have a, a history in in recent years of being able to tip the pedal at the, at the right moment in, in in championship matches, and although. I suppose to anyone who's been looking at the the evidence, it doesn't look that likely uh, this year. Um, it's not just a gimme for Donegal to go to go into Castlebar and, and get a win. And of course, the draw complicated that from Donegal's point of view. That if they could have won yesterday, they would have, uh, you know, that they that they they could have gone in probably with a little more in in hand. It wouldn't actually have made a huge difference in the end because on the you know on the, the, the they could have been beaten on the the head to head if if they'd lost in Castlebar. But I think just that obviously a win gives you a little more momentum. I think the other interesting thing about it is that both teams were missing uh, players um, and you know there were late changes made to, to both selections. And now obviously Owen Bon Gallagher isn't coming back for for Donegal, but they have a couple of players um uh, who were named in the programme, who, who were expected to be fit for a fortnight's time. And obviously David Moran, who was such a key figure in the win over Mayo, wasn't a, a, around y- yesterday. And uh, from what Peter King was saying, he seems to be fit to, to, to come back. So I suppose they can both take pluses and negatives uh, out of it. They, they didn't have their, their their absolute strongest teams out. But I think... Probably they they would take more positives than the, the negatives out of it. I think when when it was put up to both sides, they they responded well. And as it was the team that that equalises, was the team that's slightly more relieved. But I think that o- overall that they, they they feel that they played a really kind of high quality, a serious championship uh, grade match in, in Croke Park. They didn't lose and and they move on. It's an interesting thing about Kerry though. I was trying to remember yesterday when was the last time Kerry won in. Croke Park mm. uh, and obviously 2017 it was, I think it, it was uh, uh, two years ago in the, the quarterfinals um, but the, the the thing is that uh, it's just interesting again that uh, they came up as as they did last year for the, the match against Galway to, and, and didn't win um, it, it's probably more coincidental than than anything else but I think both both sides I would I'd be surprised if they weren't taking some sort of uh, a, a bounce out of that momentum out of it in the sense that uh, they stood up to the challenge and neither of them lost. Malachy, yesterday, um, or sorry, the, the first game of yesterday, Mayo and Meath, uh, it was level at halftime. It was level with 15 minutes to go yeah. and I think even one point in it with 12 minutes to go mm. and then Mayo just win by nine in the end. Mm. Your match report today was slightly wondering and mind you, we've been wondering this for years. How much more road is in the, these Mayo lads? Well, I'm. I kind of meant that this year. I mean, I think there's plenty of road in in this team as it evolves over the next couple of years, uh, because there is newer and younger blood coming in. Um, but yeah, I don't know how long the road is going to be this year. Um, they they burned uh, Meath off here. Um, in as you say the last sort of 12 minutes they really burned them off inside 6 minutes they went from from a sort of a, a, a point down to I think they they scored 1-5 to no score inside 12 minutes like and just burned them away um, and what was interesting about it was that it was their older guys that, that did it um, it was Andy Moran who was brilliant in the second half it was Colin Boyle who was brilliant throughout uh, Lee Keegan burst into it in the second half 
Killian O'Connor, Kevin McLaughlin, like it was the old guard, like it was, you know, the the boys of 2014, the boys of 2015, like it was the, the same team, the, the same guys that have been doing it for five, seven, nine years. It was, that was who led the charge for them. Um, it There is an interesting point in there in that, um, as Sean mentions, and, and like, as you say, Sean, it could be coincidence with, with Kerry. It more than likely is, and it will prove to be in time coincidence. But like, David Clifford and Sean O'Shea have played four games each uh, in Croke Park as senior Kerry footballers, and they haven't won a game yet. Um, they Now, as, that's a quirky thing. Uh, well, you know, one of them was a league game against Dublin, one of them was a, but one of them was a league final, and now two of them being in the Super Eights, and they haven't won any of them. So, you know, that becomes a thing the longer it goes on. Whereas, you know, Mayo get into Croke Park, and it is it's nearly as big an, an advantage to them as Dublin as it is to Dublin at this point. You know, they steady on, <laughs> but they are that you know they're that familiar with it. They are that familiar with what needs to be done there, and you know, it was their experience that saw them through yesterday. In time, they are look. They are flawed. They are flawed as they as they have been, a flaw that has really revealed itself this year. Uh, it wasn't as big a factor yesterday as it was last week in Killarney, but it was still a thing. Is the, their kickout is still a problem, and it is an accident. Where it's a bomb waiting to go off. Uh, David Clark gets very jittery over the ball. He takes too long. If it, if the first quick option isn't taken, like. The Hills, the Meath lads were in Hill 16 yesterday, and and they only like he only had to do one stutter, and they were on him, and it was oh, and and like every, and it became a thing, and like Lee Keegan got a yellow card out of it because there was a bad chip to him, and it could have been a black card, like he got a black card in an All Ireland final for more or less the same same foul. Um, it it looks like something that like they're going to play in Castlebar against Donegal the next time. Donegal's coach is Stephen Rochford. Stephen Rochford is the guy who dropped David Clark for an All Ireland final replay purely because of his kickouts. Like they, Donegal are going to absolutely target it uh, the next day, and it's going to be fascinating to watch. I don't know what Mayo do. I, I don't. I you know it, what's par? Like is par only giving away four points from his kickout or something like that? If they if they keep it below that, is it a good day? That's like that's a serious flaw when we talk about where they're going to go for the rest of the year. Eamon, like we were saying, we're kind of down to like five teams left in the championship, really, in in a lopsided way. And uh, and Mayo are there. We were saying Kerry and Donegal, they clearly have boosted their squads this year in the quality of them. Is Mayo's bleed of players through injury have has that put them in the number five slot of the teams that are left? Yeah, if if even um, of the teams that are left, definitely even of the overall eight. Um, I think that they've definitely been like they've been decimated by injuries. You have to Just really give that, them though, that I think, fairness. I think the two weeks will be a big help there. Like I like I think Paddy Durkin will almost certainly be back. I think there t- there is talk David O'Connor will make it back. Matthew Ruan probably not. Uh, but like. I think so. Yeah, that was the talk yesterday. Keith Higgins will definitely like the you know he could have played yesterday had it been do or die. They're all serious players, like they yeah. really are. And he, even Killian O'Connor, like it, it was a remarkable return for him against you know when he came on the first and against Kerry that, to kind of play at the level that, that he's at after the injury. But 
he's not flying at the at the, the pace. And it's obviously he's played no football all year, um, and he's been thrown into the highest level. He's not at the level he was at, um, and they're missing top 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 players. You have to give that to them that they've been really unlucky, um, in regards to that. I I think the new players that have come in for them have have done well. Darren Coleman was okay in the first half. I thought um, he was unlucky now to yeah. be taken off. He he took too much out of the ball a couple of times. But I I thought that was nearly as much a part of the sort of general Mayo malaise in that first half where they seemed to be kind of going, listen lads, we'll get through this. And so they were sort of overplaying their hand at times. And I thought he was... A, now, at the same time, Andy Moran changed the match. He was the best player. He was... He provided them with the, the impetus that they needed. And maybe there, was, there wasn't there was as much of that income. But, like, he laid on three points and scored one of his own. He, he's the sort... He's the sort, And the point he got was outrageous. Like, absolutely outrageous. Like, how, how he juggled his feet to kind of get into that shooting position but he's that kind of player that he's like what you'd have at underage where he's a shooter and you'd, you'd and you're saying don't shoot well you're <laughs> but you're you're with him you're you're almost a, you're you're ignoring the other things because because of the strike of a ball that he has um the rest of his play isn't as good as Andy Moore but he, Mayo for years are talking about not having forwards who can score and he he's it like so you know you, he, he can certainly score um and Phil McDonough played well um, so the players that have coming in are good, but you, you know the the caliber of lads who are missing through injury are, are top players like Jeremy O'Connor, Patrick Dirk, and they're they're the very top players in the country. Um, Higgins has been a stalwart for how for how many years? Killian O'Connor's not at the level he was at. Matthew Durand had came through this year and was a, was a big boost, and they needed him because they'd had Parsons gone, Shamie O'Shea's only just back, Barry Moran's finished now. Um, so like their strength around the middle isn't what it was. Um, so like yeah, they've been really unlucky with injuries, and I I kind of am one of the people who's been saying you know I didn't back them in the Super Eights at all. I I thought they were very lucky to even be making it, but when you do look at the injuries, like it's it's been very hard on them. Like so, it's very hard to judge them. If if they come out with this Super Eights, we competitive against Donegal with all those injuries, I I and haven't won the league. When you when you analyze it all, it's not really been a bad year. Like because they've had no luck. Sean, uh, we'll wrap up. Um, I think a word about Meath is, wor- is worth going on because, like, they're they're after ending up with two two nine point beatings, and and we're we we're better than that. Uh, I thought it was interesting to watch them and get a real glimpse of of what it is to be uh, just a kind of a level below the level required. Like they're they're a team that's coming through. They're going to be in Division One next year for the first time. I think that almost any of them will have played in it. Maybe Graham Riley has played in Division One before, but you know they are they are a developing team and they are running into the the hurdles that developing teams run into. You know that they're competing in matches but not scoring when they need to score that kind of stuff. And and it was just instructive to see them burnt off by a team that has been there and done that and just did it to them. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this has been a, a feature of what we've seen um, at, at, at the weekend. Two, I won't call, I won't call them uh, success stories, but two the, the 
the two most conspicuous works in progress have been Meath and, and Cork, and I suppose Cork more more impressive in 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 many ways than Meath, even though they'll be uh, spending the spring in Division Three next year as opposed to Division One. But I think you're right about uh, about Meath. I think when you you come out at the, this level, it teaches you a couple of things. Um, one is it's a fairly uh, brutal diagnostic as to the strength and quality of the players you have available, but also it is a kind of a tutorial in game management and also the uh, a test of your your strength and conditioning and it, it it's probably no coincidence that they got burned off as badly as they did in in the in the closing phases of of each match one because when you don't take your scores um it's a, it's a mental drain as well as a you know a disadvantage on on the scoreboard and the, the other team kind of feels well now kind of we have them and it, it probably pretty much the same in both yesterday and and against uh, Donegal but you can see with Cork as well I mean Cork were similarly libeled by the goals that Dublin pillaged off them in the in the, in the closing stages of, of that match they also they coughed up a, a lead against uh, Tyrone just weren't able to stay with them on on Saturday so I think it's 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 a good point it's a fair point that teams that arrive at this level for for the first time um they have a lot to learn from from what they're they're doing particularly against a team as experienced as as Mayo were yesterday in Tyrone on on Saturday i think from Mead's point of view um bit unfortunate with the the injuries michael newman um that didn't really help things um but in the end they were just too wasteful and, and inaccurate with the chances they had they could have kind of put more pressure on on mayo for for longer and once they once they fell behind everything once the mclaughlin goal goes in you kind of feel there's, there's no way back here but it'll be positive for them I remember during um, the spring this, uh, at a at some uh, launch uh, Lancaster Council uh, event that uh, Trevor Giles was making the point that yes it would be great for me to be be promoted and obviously get to the to the last stage in, in the championship but he he made a good distinction he said there, there's actually probably a top six rather than a top eight and that getting into the top eight is a stepping stone to getting into the top six where you're kind of a regular feature at that level of the uh, of the game rather than just, you know, an, uh, an occasional uh, visitor. And uh, I think that will be what both Meath and Cork will be, be seeking uh, to, to do, uh, you know, in, in, in what's in, in the year, years to come that to strengthen what they've done uh, this year because there is the phenomenon of the glass ceiling where you kind of you, you go up in the world but you can't get any further and then you you, you fall back I suppose it's worth pointing out uh, uh, as well you know that um, Ross Common have had a good year in the sense of winning the the, the comic title over, over both uh, Mayo and Galway and uh, they were just a bit unlucky with the the, the provincial rota, which was which brought brought them back to Croke Park, you know, they did two matches there last year and the two matches there this year, um, and that is possibly something that, that that will need to be looked at in in general terms. I don't mean just from the the, the Dublin perspective, but whether whether Croke Park is is an appropriate uh, venue for, for for these matches, just in terms of uh, of attendance and that. Sean, uh, they haven't Sean, been hectic. Sean, we have enough now. We can't we can't be getting into moving the dubs out of Croke Park. I am. An, I'm in enough trouble already with calling Rory McIlroy a choker. So, you know, these things, we can only bring so much opprobrium upon ourselves. Listen, Sean, thanks a million. No problem. And we will chat to you as the summer unfolds. Thanks to Eamon. Thanks to you, Pat. Thanks, Bob. Thanks to Philip, who we had on earlier talking about the golf. Thanks to Declan and Jenny behind the desk. And thanks to everyone. We will talk to you all next week. Cheers.